welcome to Aquafarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice and the supporting sponsor of Aquafarm, the Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy. Uh, the Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy is all remote, so I am in my third, fourth, whatever week working from home uh, with two young children here all the time and my wife working from home, and I'm recording this uh, April 9th. I think I have a 30-minute window uh, right now. Uh, in the dining room where the kids will be outside and we'll keep playing uh, without interrupting. We're going to make the most of it. Um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, his, some historical perspective on uh, how we know if a drug works or not that I think uh, will be timely, specifically Bevacizumab or Avastin for breast cancer, uh, and a little bit on um, you know COVID thoughts on hydroxychloroquine and COVID-19. Uh, real quick, though, we've had a couple uh, updated approvals to approve drugs that I want to run through real quick. So on March 10th, uh, the FDA approved nivolumab and ipilimumab for um, previously treated hepatocellular carcinoma. This is an accelerated approval based on surrogate outcome of response rate in 49 patients. Probably not much more we need to say about that. Uh, on March 30th, uh, Duvalumab was approved with chemo for extensive stage small cell lung cancer. This is based on the Caspian study. Uh, this is something that everyone expected to happen. Not a surprise. You go back and listen to the Caspian pod that we did a while back for more on that. On April 3rd, uh, Lospatercept was approved for MDS patients with anemia requiring two blood transfusions within the last, uh, I think it's eight weeks. Um, there was a prior pot about uh, Lospatercept uh, when it was approved for, I think it was thalassemia um, and some other, maybe another hemoglobinopathy. Uh, we didn't cover it a whole lot, but I did talk about how, you know, you could foresee some people using this off-label for anemia. Now there's a labeled indication for MDS patients with anemia. And then the most recent FDA approval is uh, April 8th, which is encarafenib and cetuximab for metastatic colorectal cancer patients with a BRAF V600E mutation. This is based on the Beacon study. Um, and if you go back and listen to uh, the ESMO 2019 podcast from, from the fall, I talked about this briefly. This was uh, a study of triplet therapy, encarafenib and benimetinib and cetuximab to encarafenib and cetuximab versus irinotecan-based chemo plus cetuximab. Very flawed study. Touched a little bit on it then. Plenary session podcast, uh, which I suggest you all listen to, does a fabulous job breaking down, whoa, fabulous job breaking down some of the deficiencies of Beacon. Uh, It is interesting and notable that the approval for this is the the double therapy, so encrafenib plus cetuximab, benimetinib with that did not get approval. One of the big flaws, well, we won't go into that. Uh, very flawed study based on um, the validity of the control arm and that a lot of patients in the control arm uh, did not receive optimal treatment in the first, second, and potentially third line setting depending on those patients. Okay, so um, I'm going to tease this now, but there's been a lot of talk (laughs) by a lot of folks uh, with no healthcare training about the potential utility of hydroxychloroquine in treating uh, SARS-CoV-2 or, or COVID-19. Um, and we'll talk about that uh, kind of at the end. Uh, I'm not an ID expert. I'm not a hydroxychloroquine expert by any means. Um, so we'll save that for the end. But uh, one of the questions that has to be asked is and needs to be tested is, does this work? Well, what is, what is working? Um, so before we uh, get into that, I want to look back at uh, Bevacizumab or Avastin, which is, you know, a blockbuster drug. Um, 
specifically for metastatic breast cancer. So if you go back, um, you know, in, in, uh, in June of 2011, Bevacizumab was making like $6 billion a year, $6 billion, billion with a B, uh, for its parent company. And about $1 billion of that was just breast cancer sales. So like one-sixth of all sales were in metastatic breast cancer. So as a brief history, in 2004, Bevacizumab or Vastin is approved for metastatic colorectal cancer. And then in 2005, uh, Miller and colleagues published in JCO, uh, Bevacizumab plus capecitabine versus capecitabine alone in metastatic breast cancer in the second line setting, showing, um, you know, no improvement in uh, median progression-free survival, uh, you know, 4.9 versus 4.2 months, uh, but basically a doubling overall, overall response rate, 20% versus 9% that was statistically significant. So because there was a higher response rate in the second line setting, it then got studied in the first line setting. And this was uh, E2100 by Miller and colleagues published in NEJM in 2007. And this is first line metastatic breast cancer patients, about 700 plus, uh, randomized one-to-one to paclitaxel plus BEV or BEV alone. I'll point out the paclitaxel dose here is one that you don't typically see in metastatic breast cancer. It's 90 milligrams per meter squared on uh, days 1, 8, and 15 of a 28-day cycle. So three weeks on, one week off, and a slightly higher than the normal weekly dose of 80 milligrams. Plus bevacizumab. Now, as you might expect from what we saw in the second line setting, overall response rate was higher, 49% with the combo versus 22%. So almost a doubling of response rate, consistent with what was seen in the second line setting. Median progression and free survival was statistically significant in favor of paclitaxel plus bevacizumab, 11.3 months versus 5.8, almost a doubling of median progression free survival. But overall survival was not statistically significant. However, Based on this study, it was approved by the FDA in 2008 based on E2100. A very attractive indication. A lot of folks with metastatic breast cancer out there, a lot of folks uh, who hang around for a while and, and battle their disease and are able to be on the drug for a long period of time. So, you know, probably a big money maker. Uh, follow up to that, uh, Avado was the next uh, paper in this line. This was by Miles and colleagues in JCO in 2008. This is also first line metastatic breast cancer. Bevacizumab plus docetaxel or docetaxel alone. So it's a taxane, a taxane that's got activity in metastatic breast cancer. We would expect to see the same thing. A little bit different here, the docetaxel dose is 100 milligrams per meter squared every three weeks. A lot of folks in practice don't tolerate that. They would go with 75. Uh, overall response rate was, um, you know, 55, 63% with docetaxel depending on uh, uh, and bevacizumab, depending on which dose of bevacizumab. They, they studied 7.5 mg per kg and 15 mg per kg every three weeks. Uh, but overall response rate was higher with docetaxel and bev versus docetaxel alone. Uh, median progression-free survival was also better uh, with the bevacizumab arm, but if you think back to E2100, it was almost a doubling of median PFS, 6 months versus 11 months. This is 7.9 months compared to 8.8 .8 months, so only a one-month improvement in median PFS versus about a five-month improvement. And again, no improvement in overall survival. In fact, the median overall survival numerically uh, favored um, uh, docetaxel by itself. So uh, we still see the overall, the overall response rate improvement, a much smaller improvement in median progression-free survival, and then again, no improvement in overall survival. And then the last study I'm going to talk about is Ribbon 1 by Robert and colleagues in JCO in 2011. So it's 1,200 patients randomized to one of three arms uh, in first-line treatment of metastatic breast cancer. One arm was capecitabine. Um, 
plus or minus BEV, basically. Um, one was an anthracycline or taxane, plus or minus BEV. And then one was just uh, chemotherapy alone. Uh, and we see the same thing. Overall response rates favored the addition of bevacizumab, uh, you know, in the order of 51.3% uh, with an anthracycline or taxane arm versus just 38% just getting anthracycline or taxane. Response rate with capecitabine were lower, but numerically and statistically significantly in favor of capecitabine plus BEV versus just capecitabine. We see statistically significant improvements in median progression-free survival, 9.2 months versus 8 months. Statistically significant uh, favoring BEV plus an anthracycline or taxane-based regimen versus just anthracycline or taxane. And then uh, smaller uh, median progression-free survival, but still statistically significant difference, 8.6 months with CAPE plus BEV versus 5.7 with CAPE cytobine. And in none of, neither of those comparisons did you see an improvement in median progression-free survival. So in light of this consistent but small improvement in median progression-free survival, uh, looking back on it, the E2100 study that showed that big improvement in median progression-free survival with BEV was an outlier, likely. Uh, maybe because they gave folks a week off with their paclitaxel, and we know that weekly paclitaxel is better uh, in metastatic breast cancer. Uh, and no improvement in overall survival in any of these three studies in the first-line uh, setting for metastatic breast cancer. So based on that, the FDA removed the labeled indication for bevacizumab for metastatic breast cancer. And it was a very controversial thing at the time because did the drug work? It worked with regards to, over, to overall response rate. There were higher response rates in every arm, every chemo arm when you combine bevacizumab. It worked with improving median progression-free survival, although in hindsight, the improvement was small. But it did not work with regards to overall survival. And this is maybe one of the best examples of uh, you know, a drug being approved and an indication catching fire, getting $1 billion a year in sales. Uh, and it was really only on the market for two years for metastatic breast cancer. $1 billion bucks a year for this um, when we eventually learned that the drug did not lead to improved survival in, in, in patients with metastatic breast cancer. Um, and it's an important historical, um, you know, story to think about as we have drugs that are approved in as part of the accelerated approval program, which is how bevacizumab was approved for metastatic breast cancer. And it was an accelerated approval, which means you had to have confirmatory phase three studies. We saw uh, in 2019, olirotumab uh, removed from the market for its phase three study not showing an overall survival benefit. So I think it's important to keep that in mind, especially in oncology, because for us, uh, that's what works means. Does a drug work? Do people live longer with it, with metastatic disease? Right? It should be easy to see differences in metastatic disease if, if, if one regimen is better than the other, because all these people are going to die from their disease, uh, sadly. So as you kind of revisit you know, the, our COVID thought for the week, um, does hydroxychloroquine work? Well, of course, it has to be studied. right? You just can't willy-nilly use it. Um, but work could be, with hydroxychloroquine, prevention for people at high risk of getting the disease or people who have been exposed to it, say healthcare workers? Uh, do you prevent people from getting symptomatic? Eh, maybe that's one, one possible endpoint. One could be, does it decrease morbidity with people newly diagnosed with the disease? Newly diagnosed with the disease. Morbidity being the need for hospitalization, maybe the need for ICU stay, or the need for ventilator use, which 
when we get to the peak, as we seem to be approaching or are at right now, uh, that becomes a meaningful endpoint because we need to have enough beds and ICU beds and enough ventilators to take care of everybody. And then the final uh, you know, endpoint that's obvious would be mortality. Um, but again, I, I'm not an expert on, on, on viruses and hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I'm really not an expert on anything, which is what I'm learning uh, the more and more that I work from home. Uh, well, thank you so much for listening uh, to the podcast. I know that uh, it's hard to find time uh, to listen. So many of you probably listen on your commutes, and your commutes now are much shorter than, they, than they're than they used to. So thank you for finding the time to listen. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. Follow the podcast on Twitter at uh, Pod, both on Twitter and Instagram. And feel free to drop me a line if you've got any ideas for future episodes. Uh, stay in there. Fight the fight. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.